Hello, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, live from Los Angeles, California. This is your host, Michael Benner, and uh, thank you so much for being with us, whether you're live or listening to the streaming replay at theagelesswisdom.com or to the podcast. We appreciate you checking out the program here and learning a little bit about human potential personal and spiritual development. Also want to remind you that if you enjoy these free podcasts every Sunday afternoon, the live webinar again at 1 o'clock Pacific, 20 hours universal time. We do have a premium program that starts in about 30 minutes, and uh, you can register and enroll very simply and easily at the w's.theagelesswisdom.com. There's a hyperlink in the newsletter, and if you're not getting the newsletter, you can request it. It's also free at theagelesswisdom.com. Big button right on the splash page, free newsletter. And in there every week will be the link to the free webinar at 1 o'clock Pacific time and also a link to enroll for the premium training that follows at 1.30. And because it's tuition-based, it is password-protected and not podcast. But Replay on Demand is available in case you're not able to hear the premium program live, and you can always download that to your desktop and then put it on your smartphone, your iPad, your iPod, whatever. So you can collect the premium programs in the same way you collect the uh, the free podcast. Today we're going to talk about quieting the mind, and along with that goes the idea of calming your disposition as well. In the newsletter, I talked about the character Cain, played by David Carradine. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember this uh, television series from the early 1970s. I, I looked it up on Google. It was on the air from 72 to 75. Hard to believe it was that long ago. And uh, David Carradine, who I guess most people today know of from Kill Bill, or wasn't it Kill Bill 2, and a few other things. He was a very young man back in the Kung Fu days, and he played this great character. And there was another person that actually played him as a young child when his teacher referred to him as Grasshopper. And I mention that in the newsletter and bring it up here because Grasshopper is really one way of talking about what the mind tends to do. It leaps from thought to thought. You've noticed, no doubt, whether your thinking is applied and purposeful or whether you put down the book that you're reading or the math problem that you're trying to solve, the map you may be reading, whatever it is you're doing. When you put that aside, your mind is still generating thoughts. And whether your thoughts are purposeful and deliberate, or whether it's just that stream of consciousness or that mental drift that continues when you try to sit back and relax, still your thoughts leap like a grasshopper 
from one idea to another. I guess it's less surprising that that would happen in your normal mental drift. I think it's curious that most people never question the fact that they don't know how to turn it off, that you never really get any peace and quiet. Right? I think that's why some people like to go outdoors into nature. They like to go on walks. Uh, golfers use golf as an excuse to go on a long walk. Fishermen use catching fish as an excuse for <laughs> sitting in a boat just to try and get some quiet and a little bit of peace of mind. But the truth is your mental nature is relentless. And even if your thoughts are applied and purposeful and deliberate, the tendency to be easily distracted is always there. It's actually a function of stress and anxiety. The more overstimulated or stressed or nervous or worried you are, the more likely you are to be distracted because the brain perceives overstimulation, anxiety, and stress as potentially dangerous. And it does not want you focused or concentrating because the danger can sneak up on you and eat you, right? So <laughs> that's the ego's job is to keep the mortal self, the alienated, separated self, alive in the jungle. And although to some extent we've become civilized and developed cities, we've created jungles of technology and jungles out of poverty and racism and sexism and man's inhumanity to man combined with our own self-critical nature. We're not only inhuman to each other, we're really inhumane and inhuman when it comes to the way we treat ourselves. The saying that you are your own worst critic is actually true. Even very arrogant and pompous people are doing it out of doubt and worry and fear of their own inadequacy. You've got to be really sociopathic, <laughs> narcissistic, not to question yourself and criticize yourself. And That's what the mind is doing. We're going to talk at length in the premium training about what are the categories of thought what what if if the mind is constantly generating these thoughts and jumping from one thought to another can we categorize these thoughts what can we come to understand about ourselves through these perpetual distractions again the fact that few people are even interested in this makes you a quite exceptional individual just because you're listening today whether again live or by podcast the fact that you found this webinar that you read the newsletter that you were cruising through the iTunes store looking for some sort of program about personal and spiritual development and you happened upon this one that makes you an unusual, <laughs> really quite an exceptional woman or man. Most people, of course, would much 
rather judge others. It's not that we desire to be critical of other people. It's just a kind of backward and ineffective way of understanding the self by comparison. It seems less risky to know myself by judging other people and saying, well, I'm not that, I'm not her, I'm not him, I'm better than that, aren't I? You see. And, of course, as you've heard me say countless times before, and it certainly bears repeating, on balance, there's nobody that's better than you, nobody that's worse than you. In a few areas, yes. Everybody has areas where they have strengths and therefore other areas where they have weaknesses. But on balance, we're incomparable. There's absolutely no value in judging other people because you are not them. You don't think like them. You don't feel the way they feel. You don't act the way they do. You don't know what they know. You haven't had their experiences. You're having a completely unique experience which we call reality and can agree upon to some extent but mostly we disagree because we're having unique experiences you have as I like to say fingerprint evidence and DNA proof of your uniqueness so judging other people is ineffective and frankly irrelevant though it would seem to be a risk-free way of knowing yourself backwards. The good news is, if you're willing to look directly at who you are, what you will discover will liberate you and make you quite happy and content, because this universe does not make junk. People are magnificent, everybody. And do we have a shadow side? Yes, of course. Are we tempted to be selfish and self-centered? Yes, there's no question about it. Uh, Do we sometimes do bad, wrong, evil things? Yes, clearly we have a shadow side. That's the ego. I just mentioned that's the part that's in charge of survival as an alienated, separated, mortal being. But we are not, except by appearance. You see, only by appearance. Are we separated? And only by appearance do we feel this alienation and this isolation and this curiosity about whether we're as good as other people or good enough. I give you a clue. One of the things that causes the mind to grasshopper, to leap, from one distraction to another, whether you're purposefully trying to think or whether you've got your feet up on the lanai and you're trying to chill out a little bit, doesn't much matter. The mind is still generating these thoughts. I'll give you a clue. One of the things it's doing is seeking approval. It's trying to accept your sense of who you are in spite of the fact that we have very little instruction, very little insight, and very little understanding of who we are or how to go about knowing who we are. 
And that's what programs like this are for, of course. That's the field of personal and spiritual development in a nutshell. Who are you and what are you for? These are the great existential questions. Ask a person who they are, they'll give you a name. Press them, they'll tell you what they do for a living. Press further, they'll give you a wallet-sized photo. Fine, now we know the name, occupation, and I got a wallet-sized photo. I still have no idea who you are. And further, this idea that we are unique and the paradox we've discussed in the past and we'll talk about a lot in the coming months and years, this grand paradox of the one and the many. That we are part of one life, there's really only one of us here. Everyone and everything is related, an extension of one central force or energy in the universe. And yet, this one single energy, awareness, consciousness, some people call it love, some people call it God or the creator or the absolute, this single unified force manifests in diverse ways. The absolute manifests relatively, and that is a little paradoxical. We've used the pendulum to talk about it in the past, the fixed end of the pendulum corresponding to the absolute, the unified, holistic nature of a universe. And the bottom weighted end of the pendulum, swinging back and forth or around and around, if you think of it three-dimensionally, corresponds to the relative nature of the diverse, how shall we say, reflections or extensions of the one life in form. And so to understand yourself, really requires that we look at this paradox of the one and the many and stop using or and saying, I am this but not this and a little of this but none of that and consider that you are this and this and this and this and this and more this than that perhaps but still a little bit of this over here as well. But in order to see the unity and the diversity, to see the one and the many, you've really got to calm the mind. Or as I said a few minutes ago, quiet the mind and calm the emotional nature. And this was the central lesson that Cain got as a boy in the Kung Fu series uh, you know, in this Chinese monastery where he received this really intensive instruction as a young man in both spiritual teachings and martial arts. And both require meditation. Both, of course, like yoga is another area. You know, there's spiritual teaching, which many people in the West think of as a religion. In Eastern philosophy, spirituality is not limited to religion. Increasingly in the West, spirituality is no longer limited to religion. Thank goodness for that. Now, to begin to see ethics and morality and values as being more than religion is an area of growth.
exponential growth as well. So you have spiritual training, you have the martial arts, you have yoga, and all the related, uh, like uh, Tai Chi Chuan or Qigong, um, sort of an interface between the martial arts and a kind of yoga or asanas or awareness exercises. Uh, In the West, we have similar movement awareness technologies from dance to uh, Feldenkrais to Pilates um, and, and you know anything done mindfully is a meditation and uh, these are all physical approaches to the idea of meditation and mindfulness and the funny thing is that in order for your mind to be full you need to quiet it. It almost seems contrary in nature. You say, mindful, well, my mind is already full. Actually, no. If <laughs> your mind is jumping around like a grasshopper, or in Buddhist teaching it's often called monkey mind, this inability to concentrate, to focus, is mindlessness. The more easily distracted you are, the more your mind jumps from one idea to another, the less there is going on inside your brain and your mind, your ability to, again, be aware of your thinking and feeling and behavioral processes, your health and relationships as well, who you are and the way you relate to other people and the world around you. Mindfulness requires a quiet mind and a calm disposition. A busy mind that's equally uh, or easily uh, distracted, that, that jumps around all over the place. The mind of the individual who likes to multitask because they're getting off on the adrenaline buzz is actually not mindful, but mindless. It's the empty mind that jumps around from thing to thing, trying to find something of substance. You know, we see this in reading. Thirty-five years ago, a good friend of mine, Steve Snyder, who's been my business partner in a variety of endeavors for that whole three-and-a-half-decade period, he taught me a reading method that he developed as a teenager that tripled my reading speed in a week, actually a weekend, like a a two-day seminar and then a little bit of practice to get it down, tripled my reading speed. And what I found was my comprehension went up. And every time I show it to somebody or somebody asks about accelerated reading and accelerated learning, I say, well, I can teach you to read three times faster quite easily using Steve's method. More often than not, they'll say, yeah, but what about comprehension? As if speeding up and reading faster means you're going to miss something. Actually, reading slowly means you're going to miss something. That's why you're so easily distracted. That's why you're turning pages ten minutes into your effort to read Your eyes are moving along the lines, paragraph after paragraph, as I say, flipping the pages, and suddenly you realize 
Nobody's home. You're not paying attention. Why aren't you paying attention? Because your mind is bored. You're still reading 200 to 300 words a minute. That's how fast I'm speaking right now. About 250 words a minute. So we sub-vocalize when we read. You could have a Ph.D., three master's degrees, and a couple of bachelor's degrees, and you're still reading one word at a time, like we're in the second grade. So your mind is easily distracted. It's looking for something more interesting. And so it leaps. You see, when you read faster... Your, your comprehension goes up because you're less likely to be distracted. You're more focused on what you're reading. And the same thing with life. Right? If you want to be mindful, to fill your mind with grand ideas and profound understandings, we have to quiet this chatter that is simply a distraction or a diversion. Why is the mind doing this? I, I talked about searching for approval a few minutes ago, and the need for acceptance, the judging of other people. That's part of what's distracting us. But there are a few other areas that we're going to talk about in the premium training. I hope you'll join us. Uh, let's do a little relaxation exercise because the how-to of all of this how do we release the grasshopper of the monkey mind and actually, by calming the emotional nature, quiet the mind so that it can be full of grand ideas instead of these trivial distractions that we seemingly have no control over and we don't even know why our minds are going off in these odd directions. The secret is to make the brain feel safe. The brain has a tendency, or if you wish, the subconscious mind, to confuse confusion itself with danger. And so the more distracted you are, the more random thoughts there are bouncing around inside your head, the more likely you are to trigger that part of the brain called the amygdala, which produces adrenaline, changes brain waves, brain chemistry, and also generates this hormone called cortisol that shuts down the body's immune system and higher brain functions to deal with the danger in the short term. But when the mind is distracted, not from real danger, but from simple overstimulation and confusion, we need to intervene and consciously substitute a relaxation response for the survival-based fight-or-flight response. And that means meditation, contemplation, reflection, relaxation exercise, whatever you want to call it. Let's do it now for a couple of minutes. Close your eyes and relax. Take a nice, slow, deep breath or two, like big sighs of relief. And then sitting up straight, nicely balanced, not rigid, but 
nicely balanced. With your shoulders back and your head up, begin to relax your body from head to toe. You can do this progressively when you take the time to relax your feet and then go to the calves and create and sense a feeling that moves into the upper legs and you can take 15, 20 minutes to slowly move through your hips and up your spine, relaxing as you go across the shoulders and flowing down into your arms all the way to the tips of your fingers and thumbs, a feeling of letting go, a wonderful feeling of relaxation, a feeling peace and feeling very safe. With your attention on the bottom of your nose, detach. That is, identify as the one who watches those thoughts, not as the one who thinks them. You're not generating those thoughts. They're not coming from you. They're simply passing by. And you don't need to believe any of those thoughts. They just pass by. They keep trying to interrupt you, even though you're listening to me now. They want you to think about food or sex or did you get the car fixed? Did you buy the gas? Did you pick up this? Did you run that errand? What about so-and-so? I wonder what they think. Watch the thought without identifying yourself as the one who generated it, for you did not. And calm your emotional nature by feeling the feeling. And creating and sensing at the deepest levels within you a letting go, feeling very safe and relaxed. By now, your breathing is returned to a normal cadence or rhythm. But at any time, you can take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling through your nose, fill your lungs, and as you exhale, it's almost like breathing into your emotions and letting them go. And feel that letting go. Just as you feel a release, a letting go of muscular tension, and your body begins to feel safe and relaxed. And then just observe those thoughts. Like you'd watch a car race, and the cars are passing by, zoom, 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 but you're just sitting quietly on the hillside or in the stadium watching the cars. And whatever the drivers of those cars are thinking you may tune into those thoughts they may be running through your head but they're of little relevance just let them go and be disinterested and feel the peace of mind experience the moment know that each moment 
is impermanent. Treasure and cherish each passing instant. For what it is without judgment, without analysis, without decisions, just let it go. And when you're ready, take a big breath, inhaling. And as you exhale now, open your eyes, wide awake, back in the room. And thanks so much for being with us, whether live or by podcast today. I'll check the comments in a few minutes. i got to go do the premium training. and Hope to meet you over there. Register if you haven't already at the w's.theagelesswisdom.com. Click on webinars, then premium training. You can enroll in 60 seconds, and you'll get the URL and the password, and we'll meet you over there. Thanks a lot for being with us. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Mark LeBenner. Aloha. So long from Los Angeles. The conference is.